Happy Halloween, trick-or-treaters, dreamers, campers, suspects, and deadites. What you're about to hear is a clip from our exclusive Patreon episode on 1980s The Changeling. How do you hear the full thing? Become a member of our Patreon, The Rewind. You can find a link in the description of this episode, or you can visit www.patreon.com slash Halloweeniespod. Hope to see you there so we can give you one more scare. Clearly a beloved horror movie and and arguably a classic in every sense of the word. So I'm going to talk about how it all came to fruition. And to do that, we kind of have to go back to the roots and the likes of which involve uh, one of my least favorite hooks in horror, which is uh, based on a true story. Mm -hmm. Um, As I've talked on, I believe the Texas Chainsaw Massacre commentary that we have here. uh, I hate that when they use it in horror movies (laughs) because it's never really the true story. Uh, It's never, it's just the farthest possible. Um, So that true story in this case for the changeling involves the alleged events that musician and writer Russell Hunter, who I mentioned before, he had claimed experience while living at the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion in Denver, Colorado during the 1960s. In fact, the Chessman Park neighborhood in the movie is a reference to the Cheeseman Park in Denver, where the original haunting transpired. And here's some creepy context about that neighborhood. The Cheeseman Park neighborhood was built on a 19th century cemetery where up to 2,000 bodies are believed to bury there. And according to a 2010 CNN article, this conversion happened in the late 1800s in which Mount Prospect Cemetery was converted into the public park. And here it gets better. Um, <laughs> Jill McGrannan of the Denver Parks and Recreation told CNN at the time that many of the bodies left in Mount Prospect Cemetery were those of paupers and criminals. Unfortunately, there's no way of knowing or even finding out who they are or if they have existing relatives. Um, and then what makes this even more creepy is that other research also claim that the bodies left behind uh, were also victims of smallpox. Um, but here's the thing. The creepy keeps coming uh, because uh, the 2010 article came about because workers in the area had actually found four more skeletal remains. And um, I'm actually just going to read the rest of the story because it's pretty fucking wild. And also just kind of adds a really some important context where you can kind of maybe when you make your estimate of whether or not you believe this has happened or not, you'll have some facts to lean on. Uh, so CNN wrote, every few years, workers stumble across skeletal remains, which are then sent to the medical examiner to be sure they are what locals call the long time residents of Cheeseman Park and not part of a more recent crime scene. Fair enough. The remains then are reburied in a different cemetery. Before taking on a job, contractors receive warnings about the creepy hazards that dot the park. We told them of Cheeseman's Park's pass and that coming upon skeletons was a real possibility, McGranahan said. They all agree that it was a little unsettling at the first time. And as one of our workers stated, he arrives after the sun is up and leaves before it goes down so he doesn't take any chances. So how did all these bodies end up left behind when they were converted the cemetery to a city park? Well, local historian and author Phil Goodstein tells CNN that the problem can be traced back to corrupt government contracting. It's a very gruesome story, Goodstein said. In 1893, the city of Denver hired a politically connected local undertaker named Edward McGovern, according to Goodstein. The city agreed to pay him $1.90 a head. I love that he arrived at $1.90, by the way. It's like, all right, we're not going to go $2. We'll give you $1.90 to relocate (laughs) the graves. McGovern soon found the work to be difficult and, more importantly, unprofitable. 
Before long, he figured out how he could get paid up to four times for a single body. They used small coffins that were approximately one foot high, two foot wide, and three foot long, Goldstein wrote in his book, The Ghosts of Denver. His 18 employees were instructed to fill one coffin with a skull, another with an arm or a leg, a third with chest bones, and possibly a fourth with dirt and rock. Ain't that America, folks? Uh, a few months later, well before the job was completed, the city fired McGovern, called it a day, and built the park according to Goodstein. So I love that like a corrupt individual made it so they're like, all right, fuck this body. It's like, let's just, let's just start the process at this point. So the only thing that surprises me is they haven't found more bodies, uh, McGovern said. Now, Stephen Leonard, who is a professor at the Metropolitan State College of Denver, he's also studied this history of the park, and he said the bodies left behind uh, were for other reasons. Uh, research I've done indicates that probably at least some of the bodies that were left behind were smallpox victims, which I mentioned before. Evidently, they did not want to disturb them for fear of disease. They just learned to live with it. So it's no surprise, given what lies beneath the park, that many said they think this area is haunted. Cheeseman is a beautiful park, but part of its appeal may lie in its unique history, McGranahan said. Folklore tells of children playing, then suddenly vanishing in the park, of a beautiful woman singing, of spirits wandering lost because their headstones are gone. Whether it is true probably depends on if you believe in the paranormal, but it certainly adds to Denver's colorful history. Now that you know that, now you know the area, you know that's all that happened there. What the hell happened to Russell Hunter when he stayed at the <laughs> Rogers Mansion that eventually gave us the changeling? And here's what happened. So at the time, Hunter had been working as a musical arranger for CBS TV in New York City. Wow, who else was a musician from New York City? Oh, George C. Scott's yeah. character from The Changeling. Uh, <laughs> well, in, in this case, Hunter had moved to Colorado in the mid-1960s because he wanted to help his parents manage Three Birches Lodge in Boulder, which sounds like a Twin Peaks episode. Uh, knowing he was going to be there long, Hunter searched for an apartment where he could live and work on his music, ultimately landing on, you guessed it, the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion at 1739 East 13th Avenue. So strange things started happening on February 9th, 1969. He uh, started hearing banging, crashing noises every morning at 6 a.m. That also appears in the movie. All of which would stop as soon as his feet touched the floor. Faucets would turn on and off. Doors would open and close. Vibrations would manage to actually make paintings fall off the walls. So, you know, he got angry. <laughs> or not angry per se. He got curious and he started investigating. And what he found was upstairs in the attic behind, an, uh, uh, behind a, a bookcase, actually, was um, a narrow staircase. And following it was another little room where there were a bunch of school books. But more importantly, a diary from a child a century earlier. So he read the diary and he discovered that the, there was a, a disabled boy who lived in isolation and his favorite toy was a rubber ball, which is both creepy and also sad at the same time. As someone who loves toys, I thought that, you mm -hmm. know, it could be a little bit better than a rubber ball. I mean, it's, I'm just imagining like Great Escape, you know, with uh, Stephen Queen just throwing the ball at the wall the entire time. Anyway, Russell says he then experienced a ball falling from the staircase, prompting him to do a seance, to which they learned all of sorts of things. They learned the kid was a sickly child, was a heir to the fortune from a maternal grandfather, and when the kid got sicker, the parents worried the inheritance would go on to another member of the family. So when the kid did die, the family covered it up and secretly buried him, only pretend he was a new kid from an orphanage that they trained at age nine to be this new kid. What's more, 
This is a hell of a seance, by the way. Probably like <laughs> right. the, the most amazing seance in the history of seances. It's one of the best. It's, right? it's one right. of the scariest, actually. It's one it's, of the scariest seances. And it's just, so in this seance also reveals the precise burial of the sun on, on South Dahlia <laughs> Street in Denver. So Russell got permission to excavate and found the remains with the medallion. And from there, shit went crazy in his house. So like paranormal activity heightened. So like a window blew out and actually shred one of his arteries. Um, the walls started imploding in the bedrooms. Um, and at that point, Russell was like, all right, I get the, I got to get out of here. And he returned when they demolished the place. And here's his final account. As the walls of the wing, which had contained my bedroom collapsed, they suddenly flew outward and crushed to death the man operating the bulldozer. Holy shit. <laughs> so that's a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously you could tell like the changeling, you know, there, there wasn't much to write for the screenplay. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think William Gray and Diana Maddox had to do uh, too much storytelling here, considering the fact that this is pretty much, I think, beat for beat, almost the changeling, with the exception of the artery. Uh, maybe yeah. George C. Scott was like, I'm not getting my artery cut. Um, <laughs> it's like, fuck that. Not but, doing that stunt. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting I'm, married. I'm not. What do you want? Um, it's in the file. It's in the <laughs> So, you know, he's chewing gum like he's in a Dr. Strangelove. But uh, <laughs> so so back in 2013, the Denver Public Library, they did some fact checking on the story. And Caffrey, you you were reading up on that, right? Uh, did you did you what did you find out of this uh, out of these debunkings that they they managed to take into consideration? I mean, it's tough, right? Because it's that thing of like, I don't think any of the debunkings necessarily say that it couldn't have happened at all. But at the